0: 97.1 FM, The Drive, presents the Behind the Song Podcast, taking you deeper into classic rock's most timeless tunes. Here's your host, Janda. The wreckage of England after World War II. The death of a father in that war. The cynical bullying from teachers at school. All bricks in a psychic wall that Pink Floyd would construct, layer by sonic layer for a concept dreamed up by one of the architects in the band, Roger Waters. Based on both Waters' own life and upbringing and on the mental collapse of former Pink Floyd frontman Sid Barrett, The Wall is an incredible work, a true rock opera with a beginning, a middle, and an end, telling a story of alienation and megalomania, a lofty undertaking that came about after Waters actually fantasized about constructing a wall between him and the band's adoring fans after a particularly grueling tour. But then it went much deeper than that, with the construction of a central character, Pink, who was left fatherless after the war and went on to become a train wreck of a rock star, strung out, jaded, depressed, and becoming more and more isolated as time went on. Another brick in the wall part two from that album deals with one of the crucial elements that contributed to Pink's alienation. The cruel teachers at school who could have been kind, but weren't. Becoming another brick in the metaphorical wall that Pink would build around himself until realizing later that it must be torn down. If you like this episode, give it a like at the end, and don't forget to hit that subscribe button. The Wall was written and produced at a crucial moment for the band. Their 11th studio album released in November of 1979. It came when the band were in a midlife, after their incredible success with 1973's Dark Side of the Moon and Wish You Were Here, the follow-up in 75. By the time the band released the next album, 1977's Animals, and toured behind it, they were in financial trouble. Hard to believe considering the success of the Dark Side album alone, but their money had been invested into high-risk venture capital by their financial planners to avoid tax liability. And they lost millions of dollars and had even more tax liability as a result. They were at a crisis point and tensions were high. And it was under this kind of stress that the inspiration for the wall struck, although in an odd way. At a concert in Montreal, touring after the Animals album was released, Roger Waters became angry with fans in attendance who he thought were acting inappropriately, and he actually spat on them. This was the moment where the wall crystallized in his mind. He went to the rest of the band with the idea of putting a barrier up between him and their audience, A pretty drastic measure, but not that surprising if you consider the fact that he and drummer Nick Mason actually met while studying architecture at college in London back in the 60s. And what do architects do but build? Luckily though, the idea to construct a real wall was turned into a concept about a mental wall, aided by producer Bob Ezrin an outside collaborator who was brought in by Waters to help flesh it out and to serve as a very important bridge between the band members during the process. Ezrin, who had worked with Alice Cooper, Kiss, and Peter Gabriel, among others, ended up writing a 40-page script based on Waters' idea, which was accepted by the band and became the story of Pink and the Wall. Suffice to say, that without Bob Ezrin, the 26 tracks on the wall may never have happened, and rock and roll would be without one of its most resonant storylines in album form. The song Another Brick in the Wall, part two, has as its companion, part one and part three on the album, of course. In part one, the character Pink begins to build the mental wall around himself following the death of his father in the war, dealing with being raised by his overbearing mother. This mirrored Roger Waters' own experience. His father, Eric, was killed in Italy in 1944, surrounded by the enemy in World War II, when Waters was only five months old. In Another Brick in the Wall, part three, The character Pink discovers his wife's infidelity and has a breakdown, deciding then and there to finish building the wall around himself, resigned to his isolation and his loneliness, in total despair. In the middle of these two events, Another Brick in the Wall Part Two deals with Pink as a fragile child, struggling with his home life and finding absolutely no solace at school which Waters has said also mirrored his childhood. When the lyrics were written, they became a rally cry against authority. One reason this particular song is the only one that went to number one in the US and in the UK. In fact, it topped the singles charts in 14 countries. Rock fans related the central idea presented in the lyrics, which gave a voice to any kid who had ever felt oppressed by an authority figure in school or elsewhere. The track preceding it, The Happiest Days of Our Lives, sets the stage, its lyrics saying that there were certain teachers who would hurt the children any way they could. On the album, it flows seamlessly into another brick in the wall part two, which goes like this. We don't need no education. We don't need no thought control. No dark sarcasm in the classroom. Teacher, leave them kids alone. All in all, it's just another brick in the wall. All in all, you're just another brick in the wall. It's a statement against the cynical idea that corporal punishment at school was in any way helpful And in Pink's case, bullying by teachers and students was just another layer in his metaphorical wall of isolation. The double negatives used, we don't need no education and so on, make a lyrical snipe on the failures of the education system at large in a really clever way. The verse repeats, and the second time the chorus comes around, the lyrics change to, Hey, teacher, leave us kids alone an important, defiant cry from the kids themselves. This was so powerful to hear for the first time when you were in school yourself and discovering the album, The Wall by Pink Floyd, coming of age and figuring out who you were. It's why this album and this song will continue to find a new audience, generation after generation. The children's choir that you hear singing in the song was from a school near the studio in Islington, England. There were only 23 children in the choir singing, but the overdubs done in the studio made it sound like so many more. And that was a crucial decision, a key element in the song that again gave a real voice to the idea of oppressed youth. The song is propelled by a very surprising, especially to Pink Floyd fans at the time, disco beat, which came about by the genius of Bob Ezrin. He suggested that David Gilmore force himself to go out to the clubs, which in the late 70s were disco clubs, and listen to what people were responding to in the music. Gilmore hated that, but he did go out and absorb the music, which in turn resulted in the sound creeping into the song to spectacular effect. It really wouldn't have the same heartbeat without it, as even Roger Waters has admitted. And it is Roger Waters that you hear at the end of the song, putting on a Scottish accent and assuming the role of one of the heavy-handed schoolmasters, screaming, if you don't eat your meat, how can you have any pudding? How can you have any pudding if you don't eat your meat? You!" Yes, you behind the bike stands. Stand still, laddie. Terrifying. It was Bob Ezrin who convinced Pink Floyd to release Another Brick in the Wall part two as a single, something they weren't in the habit of doing as a band because they felt their music should be heard as it was recorded in full album form. But Ezrin was adamant that it could stand on its own and it certainly did. Pink Floyd, The Wall, was adapted as a film in 1982, starring Bob Geldof as Pink. The film has become as much of a rite of passage for rock fans as the album itself, with images of animated hammers marching and schools as meat grinders, and Geldof doing a phenomenal job of portraying the unhinged Pink character. Making a movie out of the story of The Wall seems like Manifest Destiny, considering the fact that the album happened as a result of a 40-page script around the central character. As for Another Brick in the Wall Part two, whether it's the strangely uncharacteristic disco beat employed in the song, or simply the fact that it offers an alternative for those who march to a different beat in school and in life, It remains one of the key songs, not just in Pink Floyd's enormously rich body of work, but to use the metaphor in the song, it's one of the bricks in the wall of our collective adolescence. A song from an album about isolation that weirdly made rock fans feel less alone. I'm Janda and this has been Behind the Song. Special thanks, as always, to Christian Lane for the music you hear on these podcast episodes. If you like it, give it a thumbs up, hit subscribe, and leave a five-star review. You can also watch the videos on the Behind the Song Podcast TikTok channel. And on the way, much more classic rock and roll.